187 of the Constructed Criticism Podcast. I'm your host, Easy, and I'm joined by my co-host, a band that I'm really happy to see today, Mason Clark. But, uh... Dude, I had a full day. And I was just waiting to see your amazing face. I was just like, let's go. This is the thing I'm waiting for. I get to chill with Mason, leader of the Masonites, and just go. Nothing to say? I had to be for your pioneer for one hour and ten minutes. The greatest joy anyone could have. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I do get Mason all to myself today. It's fortunate for me, unfortunate for uh, Abe, who, you know, isn't feeling his best. uh, But, you know, you gotta gotta take care of yourself first, and we love and miss you, Abe. Uh, speaking of feeling your best, part of that is being always improving. It, you know, it is a great feeling when you break through on something. Mason, what did you do to be always improving this week? Yeah, so I've been preparing for the RC this week, like I'm sure lots of our North American listeners have been. And, you know, Spencer, uh, since we've last talked, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and Thursday, I slept I coached, I ate, I played Pioneer, did an hour at the gym, and that's all I did. I, that's all I did for all those days. I was dreaming of coffee every day, and my always improving kind of comes from, uh, I early on, come to some you know thoughts and opinions on the Amalia combo deck, and I was like kind of lower on it. Um, I basically didn't love the way it played, did do all this work still, didn't even win, and then it started to do well. And I think it's been very easy to simply just be like, oh, I've already kind of done the work on this, et cetera. But after having some conversations and listening to people and just making sure to be like, well, I had these opinions and these thoughts, but you're saying counter this. Let me listen to why and really challenging myself. I was like, okay, I can see enough of where they're talking about. The cyborgs kind of look better. Let's give this another run and end up in a spot where I, you know, I'm still on, there's no deck in Pioneer I'm in love with. But now I feel much better being on this uh, Abzan Merfolk deck, but I'm known as Amalia combo. And so, you know, trying to like, basically, I guess the the TLDR of this is like, I had conceptions and thoughts. I kind of like put this deck in that spot and then a bunch of new information came and an open heart, open mind listened and was convinced that like, this is actually maybe the thing I should be doing. And as of right now, that's where I'm at. So. Yeah, I, I really love that. I think that, you know, on this on this show, many times I I've been the the type of person to say like, oh, you have to convince me I'm wrong, and I I don't mean that as like I can't be convinced that I'm wrong. I mean that as like, hey, you know, I've made an educated guess. I've spent my time to do something. Like, if you can convince me I'm wrong, that's awesome. Like, I love learning new things, and I think that you and I kind of share that mentality sometimes, where like it's it it, it is. We, we'll we'll both state our opinions and we'll we'll, we'll say what we're thinking, but also like if you have mm-hmm. something that you know proves us wrong, that's awesome. Like that's an mm-hmm. opportunity for us to learn. And I think that you know just hearing you talk about that today exemplifies um, kind of the point of always improving in a lot of ways. Yeah, it really sucks too because I had a cool deck I wanted to play. I'll just say it too. I don't really care. I'm going to play Mono Green Devotion again. <laughs> it's like actually good. I like played it a bunch and worked on it. It's nice, and I was so ready. And like I've, I've been playing a bunch of leagues. I ran into like a bunch of really strong like pro players and Moto grinders, and I was just beating the tar out of everybody. And then the Amalia deck stuff just kind of like overlaps and hate. I'm like, dang, this deck's just doing the same things better. I got to put down the deck I like like for this one. So. Yeah. Yeah. Funnily enough, uh, I got asked by somebody. They're like, "Hey, like, what do you think of Mono Green?" And I was like, mm-hmm. "I'm sure it's still fine." <laughs> you have eight elves. Like, it's like a rule of the format. I don't. I don't think that Karn mm-hmm. changes the fact that like you get to be an elf deck in a deck that doesn't have that in a format that doesn't like have yeah. that. Yeah, I think like the Abe's Abe mentioned it last week's episode, um, but it was he said something to the of like the Cavalier Storm Engine is still yeah. really good. And you just very often can just put a ton of things in play. Lots of decks can't beat that. And it's very easy to put a ton of things in play. Uvan Wadadi, transform basically in the Crater Hope and then kill them. Yep. Like, you'd still just have a combo kill. It's just... Yeah, there was a... There was a tournament... There was a tournament that was one where the, instead of Karn... Uh, I don't remember if you remember this. I think I sent you this list. Like, when Karn was legal, there was two Uvan Wadadis, two Vivians... 
And like that was that mm-hmm. was the change. And they just called it Moose on the Loose. Yeah. And I was like, I just want to play this Moose deck Moose. for the name. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's basically the deck I had for the RC. I had two Vivians and Adi and some Nissa who shake the world. And yeah. That was my deck. <laughs> so it's good. What's your always improving moment, Spencer? Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, one thing that, you know, I, I'm really proud of the success that, that Team CCMTG had back in the day with, you know, with me, Quentin, Michael, you know, just, you know, all those Pro Tour Day 2s for just this small little Utah team, right? Uh, you know, we got Bronze Pros, Silver Pros. Uh, but one thing that I think that I was never really great at is during during this this time, right, where you'd be like, you know, you're testing for RCs, you're testing for RCQs or, or Pro Tours or things. I I think that I often was too strong on my opinion when a lot of times all people really need are for you to listen so that they can explain their thoughts and then you can challenge if it's like absurd like no you you shouldn't do that like like here's some real legitimate reasons why you shouldn't do this thing that you're saying but one thing that i've learned in magic probably mostly over like the last five years is that people play a lot better magic when they're happy and when they enjoy what they're doing than they do when they feel forced into a decision. So, for example, um, you know, if if you're somebody, I'm going to use Pioneer as an example because I think that there's a clear best deck in Pioneer right now in Phoenix. I think that's been that way pre-bans. I think it, I don't know that that's changed very much um, according to the results. And but if you don't want to play a cantrip deck, like, and you don't have fun playing that type of magic and you're not going to make good decisions, and you're going to be miserable for seven rounds, day one, or whatever it is, I don't think that it's the right deck for you to play at something like an RC. Um, and uh, so for me, I've been working on being a better teammate and just listening and understanding, like, okay, what are your goals? What are your wants? And then being a soundboard and, you know, somebody that reasonably can tell them, like, I don't think that's true, or I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, I won't say like the specific conversation cause I don't have permission to, to do so in, if, for this one, but I do, I do think that like, that's something that I needed to mature and be better at. I'm not, I'm not qualified for the, this RC. My entire stake in this tournament is my three, my three teammates going to it. And so to me, like their success is not a reflection on, on me outside of like, did they have fun? Did they achieve their goals? And was I helping them doing so? And if if I'm like, no, you should play this deck. It's the best deck, like jamming it down their throats. It's going to be a lot less fun experience for them. And I just have found that Magic players play a lot worse in those situations. Yeah, it's kind of why, like, I mean, I hate playing Phoenix, you know, but like I played it at the last two RCs and I felt really good about it. Um, and, you know, qualifying for the Pro Tour is one of them. But like, I don't try to think about what's fun or not. I try to focus on other things, right? I try to find the fun in things, right? So it's like, what is fun about this? What can I enjoy? Yeah. Um, you I, know, cause I, I think feeling forced or negative, you know, can spiral for some people. Yeah. And what, I just want to be clear that I'm not saying like any of the, like there's, I still want them to be reasonable that gamers, I still want them to like, you know, do what they're going to do. But like, if if you, like I'll give you an example. One of the players believes that this format is ripe for a combo deck to do well, and they want to play a combo deck. And like they think that the combos are split enough where the hate cards are going to be split enough that combo will succeed. And so you know to them it becomes about X, Y, and Z, and you know throwing in questions like, okay, well these two combo decks both are in trouble to this card. And so there will be a lot of this card. So if you're going to play a combo deck, you want it to be good against this card. Otherwise, you're just falling into the same hate as other people, right? And that's what I mean by being the soundboard, right? It is my job is to let them express themselves and, and ask questions rather than state my opinion, do this thing. Yeah, I think that's good. I think it's important. Awesome. Uh, if you uh, want to be a part of the always improving community in our Discord, well, the best way to do that is become a patron of $5 or more. Head on over to patreon.com slash ccmtg. One of the great ways to improve on Arena is to use our sponsor at untapped.gg. 
Uh, this week I posted a screenshot with my deck list, uh, you know, with, you know, you know, what's the play, uh, in our discord, uh, I, on arena, I use untapped GG, uh, and I think, I think they're a great resource. Um, you know, if only people could play pioneer, uh, to get their testing in and use that resource today. That's a, that's, that's not a jab at untapped, by the way. That's a, that's a jab elsewhere. Nice, huh? Uh, that is going to do for housekeeping. Let's dive into the main topic. We want to talk about how our opponents can interact this week. So, um, kind of a new little part that I want to add to the show that, uh, I think, I think will help listeners as they, as we get into main topics is kind of talk about the idea of the topic. What are we, what are we trying to achieve for you, the listener? And what do we hope that you're going to try to get out of this? And, uh, you know, we want to take this episode to help you think about ways that your opponent might be able to interact with you in a given format from whether it be like, Oh, like this, these are the rules of engagement in the format. Like here are the actual things that, that need to die. Like, like I need to be able to kill a Sheldred, for example, like that's a rule of engagement. So like, what does that look like to understanding the parameters of any given, uh, of any given format outside of rules of engagement. So like, you know, what, what is, what, what turns do I need to play around? Things like that. Uh, any anything you want to add, kind of before we we dive in, Mason? Well, no, I think you kind of covered it, and you know, I think it's something that is sometimes hard to think about. Well, I say this: it is a hard idea, I think, to have from nowhere, but once kind of shown, it makes a ton of sense, right? Like, oh, these things are strong, so maybe I can't do this, or vice versa because these things are strong, I can, right? Like you mentioned with your teammate with the RC. So one of the things that we're going to use today is, you know, shocker to people, because we've been using so much Pioneer and modern examples. We're, we're going to be trying to use standard as examples as pine, or modern season is over. Um, and we have, we will in a couple weeks be in a standard format that is the main format that our players will be playing that are listening to the show to try and qualify for their RCs. So just kind of a heads up, that is, that's the, where we're going to base this. Um, and let's, let's, I'm going to go over these front top to bottom Mason, and then let's talk about them individually. But the points that we want to cover today are removal, mass removal, protection, permission, difficulty to deal with rules of engagement and unique effects. So, I want to start with removal because we did an episode a few weeks ago that we talked a lot about removal packages and and rules of engagement. Um, and we used standard as an example from the RC quite a bit. Um, standard is in a very interesting position um, where there are a lot of answers for a lot of things. We, they, we've, we've juiced up spells quite a bit, maybe since the last time people played standard. But additionally, like, the threats are a lot better, too. Is there anything that, like, you want to highlight as far as when you're thinking about, you know, you let's say you play, you play, uh, I don't know, let, let, let's say that you play a uh, Rafine. What, what kind of cards are you thinking about when you're deciding whether to play your Rafine? Yeah, I mean, so for example, cards like Cut Down are pretty important, right? Rafine has Ward 1, but has my opponent been holding up multiple mana? Uh, you know, Cut Down's the thing that early game catch Rafine, but once Rafine connives and gets one non-creature spell, gets out of range, you know, things like Go for the Throat are really big uh, answers for it as well. Um, those are kind of the main things that jump out to me as like, you know, okay, what is going on against Rafine? What can be answering it? Leyline Binding, another prominent thing. And then also, which I don't want to leave too much the next thing we'll talk about in a second here, but like board wipes, you know? I'm playing my Rafine on turn three. Am I going to get depopulated on turn four or Sunfold on turn five? You know, these are all things I'm thinking about, but keeping it to the spot removal, it's a lot of like, okay, let's say my opponent is holding up a cut down right now. I could maybe, pull, and they only have a single mana. I can play my Rafine, then attack with my other creature, and they might cut down that to stop the connive value, but if they want to answer the Rafine, they're going to have to let me get a little bit of value, and I can kind of spread the love around, you know, and maybe get the Zinnick out of cut damage. So lots of different things going on, but typically a good standard and good removal spells have costs, like there's a cost-benefit to it, 
and things like you know go for the throat make it so artifacts get stronger and things like cut down make it so bigger creatures get stronger yeah i i also really like you highlighted like a bunch of different cards and their costs and i think that the other thing that we think about when we think about costs is like color requirements right so like a black deck might have the easiest and best answer to that rafine whereas like uh you know i was just looking over because I, I wanted to double check it looks like you know the red decks have been switching off on like their big you know their big kill spell answer for a while now and it looks like right now uh you know whichever one it is they're all going to cost three mana it's not like they have like a two mana kill your thing that means that in order to kill a rafine for a mono red deck if my opponent goes goes mountain uh kunama into you know uh, a charming scoundrel my my Rafine is living till turn four. There's nothing they can do about it. Yep, and that's also an important thing to note. Like um, when it comes to like what's going on, we're talking about like the rules of engagement, how they can interact. That's also game one and game two, right? They could have Lithomantic Barrage for games two. So Spencer knows he can jam a Rafine on turn three, and then post board he knows maybe I want to jam this Dinek, You know, get a little lifelink, yep. a little bait there. Maybe that will get the Lithomantic Barrage. And knowing the difference and why you could slam on game one and not slam in game two or three, or at least if you're going to slam it, understanding the risk is a really important part of standard. So much of standard is defined by what you are allowed to be doing, and both in regards of cards printed when it comes to threats, but answers to those threats. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned like sweepers, uh, and you know we we actually have a deck in standard that plays by default four in the main and sometimes more depending on if they want to, you know, farewell you or not, in the the ramp deck, right? Like the 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 domain domain ramp deck. Th- this deck, uh, it it's totally fine if you play a Rafine, right? Because it like the way that it's going to answer it is Sunfall. That is that is the way that it's gonna try to do it. And it's going to try like, you know, sometimes it might Leyland binding instead or, or things like that. But its default answer is it actually wants you to overcommit. Like it it's like, okay, we're either going to hold down the board with a flying creature against this, you know, and and we'll talk about unique answers later. That is going to be one that I'm going to highlight is answering the board with the board. Uh, but yeah, like the, let's go into our next segment, which is board sweepers. How how do you think about like it, it's so funny, Mason, because we come from like very te- like I played during your initial era of magic, but like my initial era of magic was day of judgment was legal. That was just a card we got to play within standard. Mm-hmm. And because of that, um, aggro decks had to be really fast and, uh, really powerful. I think about like unearth red, which was entirely built around the fact that, you know, all right, you can day of judgment me, but like you're, you're going to, there I got, this is a ball lightning, hell spark, elemental thunder, Thunder Break Hell? I don't remember the name of the flying one, the 4-4, but like the entire deck was like and had Goblin Guide. Oh man, what a what a deck. That that deck could crush standard. Um they the the decks had to be built around that, right? And today we get really powerful five and six mana sweepers. Like, we may not get like, you know, I, I dump to discount top populate. Like that card's pretty good. Brotherhood end pretty freaking good like we get good sweepers um and i think that one of the things that that's really interesting um, i was playing a a match of standard the other day where i played against i want to say a a black red deck like a black red aggro deck or something i don't remember but they they bobbed and weaved and they had Brotherhood end post board against the opposing aggro decks and then just like flooded the board afterwards. And this was something that was really common. I don't even know that it was really common. It was something people sometimes did with black red vampires in Zendikar standard where they like, instead of like, you know, in, in the, they would have pyroclasms in their mirror, in, in the aggro mirrors and then just flood the board with vampires. You could never win. And I think sweepers are a really interesting thing in magic that are so different than other things. Um, you know, uh, I, just to go out of standard for a second, like we just had a format where Supreme Verdict uh, before bannings was really good. Like Supreme Verdict was actually like 
at one of its all-time highs in modern not that long ago. Why are board board sweepers so effective in magic, Mason? Yeah, because they are some of the few cards that actually gain you actual cards for cards, right? Um, and specifically taking away your opponent's resources and being productive while putting you up. You know, when you fatal push, leyline binding, uh, you know, uh, go for the throat, something in standard, right? You get lost it. There's typically some maybe cost or, you know, there's something going on there, but also it's a one for one, right? At this core. And I'm not going up cards. I'm typically going up mana traded, right? And at a certain point that falls off happens a lot more in standard than other formats. And so with that in mind, these verdicts, uh, these like board wipes, you know, Supreme Verdict, Sunfall, Depopulate, you know, Wrath of God, these cards catch you up on multiple cards and leave your opponent with low resources. And they are just so powerful and so game warping because having a strong sweeper in your deck means that, you know, creatures have a big, much bigger liability and they have to do more when they're in play. Otherwise, the sweeper is going to kind of clean them up and you're not going to be able to actually... Uh, catch back up because you're going to be down so many cards. You know, if I play two or three creatures and all they really did was kind of put you to like eight or whatever, Spencer, and you cast Wrath of God, it's like, all right, well, I'm down on cards and you're up on cards. And, you know, I might get to play the first spell after this, but I'm down so many things and you haven't really used your material or maybe you used the first couple of turns sculpting for this, right? Um, and so that puts us in a really unique place. And that's why, you know, things like the ramp deck play stuff like Topiary Stomper, um into wrath right like that lets you go on to turn four wrath which really changes the dynamic obviously it's a ramp deck too so like it helps there but like doing things like that help you get these huge jump starts on these wrath effects and that's why you know it's so interesting the ones that see play in the domain deck right because you talk about farewell is really strong and if everyone knows it's farewell it's like well maybe i should play some number of depopulate right just to have that four mana access where you know maybe the format's so aggressive i can't afford to play the other ones i just have to play depop and give them that card draw in order to stabilize the board sooner so the, the long story short is that wrath effects just trade hard on cards and put you in a position where you're typically up raw cards and you're playing on very low resources and are also incredibly challenging to play against early on for players. As you improve and get better at the game, you will improve at playing against wrath effects. You will start to understand when they're coming and standard really helps you learn the skill. But early on, they can be incredibly high skill testing bars. You know, I'm thinking about playing a blue white deck uh, at the Pioneer RC in part because temporary lockdown is really hard to play against and is really well positioned. Yeah, I, I want to let's let's save that temporary lockdown thought for a second because one of the other interesting things, you know, if we look at standard, for example, is that Sunfall and Farewell also exile. Um, so one of the things that we haven't highlighted is that like sometimes, uh, you know, whether it's you know di diff different types of things, uh, sometimes Wrath effects can also deal with hard to deal with threats. I that's the reason that I actually wanted to lead on Rafine, right? Is that Okay, so like I don't want to spend an extra man to kill this thing. One of the best ways to do that is to get rid of everything so that I don't have to target it specifically. Um, so there's there's a lot going on in board wipes outside of just you know kill my thing, let's move on to the next thing. There, there's there each board wipe that they make now is is unique, right? Like. Um, I, I don't know that we're ever going to see Pyroclasm again. That's probably not true. We probably will. Uh, but, like, you know, th that card is not quite as elegant as Brotherhood at, Brotherhood's End that is also caring about, like, Planeswalkers. And, like, oh, my aggro deck that wants to... Or my, my midrange deck that wants to play Brother Brotherhood End to deal with creature decks, now I have to sequence differently because it will also hit my Planeswalkers. And, like, that's an interesting dynamic that I think that... You know, as as we live in the world that we do of mass removal now, uh, we kind of have to think about. So the next way that opponents can interact is protection. And this comes in many different ways, whether it be like a straight up protection spell, uh, you know, that gives you protection from a color, whether it be, uh, you know, a, you know, you know, a green spell that gives you hexproof, whether it be an enchantment that gives your thing hexproof. There's a lot of different ways that even one of the things that I think that people think about interacting that I think that stuff like this 
and stuff like our later segments will will help players understand is if I play a card that that neutralizes two cards in your hand, I interacted with your deck. Maybe I didn't interact on the stack. Maybe I didn't interact with what's in play, but I did interact with you and and how you wanted to play this game. And I think that protection spells do this a lot. Yeah, protection spells put you in a position where you're able to kind of develop and sort of force your opponent to not really move forward. This happens a lot with like spell pierce, typically in formats, and it's something maybe other format players understand as well of like, I really want to go for this thing here, but it seems so clear to me they have spell pierce or spell pierce is so backbreaking. Maybe I should buy a turn. And that is interacting with the deck, right? Kind of like what you're saying, right? Just because I didn't even do something, the threat of it or the way they might play around it might push damage, might buy time, might make them do things in a sequence they don't really want to do, might open up a different option. All of those things really happen. So protection spells are very important. And typically, you'll just see them when they are good, they are very good, and they can be incredibly backbreaking. One we see in modern right now a lot is Surge of Salvation out of the Hammer decks, right? They were for a while just main decking. I think they still are. You know, things are in flux now, but they're main decking those to have a chance against Fury and Force of Vigor and stuff. And then also, you know, just line up very well against a couple other type of cards. So when a protection spell is strong, it can buy you a lot of space and a lot of time. I think that's something that is often underappreciated, like you mentioned. I literally was going through my spirit deck to find the name of the the uh, face spell, and my spirit deck is so out of date it's not it's about the back. <laughs> Thank you. I, I I was telling you an anecdote. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> slip, slip out the back is yeah. a really good example of a thing that serves multiple purposes, and I wanted to cover here. Where like it acts as removal in your tempo deck, it acts as protection in your tempo deck. It acts as, you know, like, it, it serves many purposes. And th- I think that that's why some of these spells, and, like, I've added protection to this list. I think that if if you're a boomer like me and you saw my list of things that we were talking about today, you'd be like, what is this? Is this not a permission spell? And I think that the, we've evolved in magic. I think we have a whole new category of spell that uh, that kind of protects your thought. You talk about spell pierce, like the classic one, right? And that one acts as multiple things. It acts as a protection spell and a permission spell. Um, you, you, uh, I told a story about how Michael Hinderocker, former host of the show, talked to me about... Uh, oh my gosh, now I can't remember the name of this card. I need to work on this. Uh, the uh, Bravely Elements. Venerated Loxodon. No. Oh, that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I was there when we talked about Venerated Loxon as a one-drop lord. I remember that one clearly. Uh, Bra- Bra- Brave the Elements cool acts as both a protection spell and a lord spell. And, like, kind of understanding your opponent m- might have something to interact with you that also might be part of their initial games plan. I mean, I-, I think that there are two decks that highlight this heavily in the form of... I, we're not going to talk about this in standard very much because I, I don't think that outside of... I mean, we could be if we want to talk about mono blue for a second, but, uh, you know, yeah, let's do it. Mono blue and standard. Um, uh, Boros, uh, Heroic in Pioneer, and Infect in Modern. All you utilize this type of card way more than other decks. They And the, they're trying to interact with you because they're going to put something into play that you have to deal with. Like if I don't deal with a hottie gin, I'm gonna I'm gonna die. It's gonna be it it will solo me so fast. If I don't interact with the, the heroic spells, or if I try to interact with the heroic spells, like it puts a tax on you that other interaction doesn't do in magic. Uh, anything you want to say more on protection spells before we move on to permission? No, I think you did a good job wrapping that one up. Uh, do we want to start with cancel or do we want to start with mana leak? You're driving the ship, King. All right. Well, let's start with cancel. What's what's cancel, Mason? Uh, cancel is one blue, blue counter target spell. We see a lot of these variants in standard formats. You might see Dissolve or Dissipate or Absorb. These are sort of the traditional standard counter spell. Typically quite weak, although sometimes if the supporting elements are there, you might see it pop up in real numbers. Um, 
you know, up until very recently, Pioneer decks played a lot of absorbs. Now we're seeing some amount of experimentation with cards like Make Disappear, which is the mana like thing Spencer spoke about. We'll get to in a second. But these are sort of cards that trade one for one and will answer anything from the opponent's deck at kind of a clunky cost. So it doesn't have to be one blue blue, but that is the traditional variation of this effect. I just want to say that I'm proud of standard players. I, I did I did some quick looks. I believe that there might be actually zero cancels being played in standard right now. Um, mm -hmm. So, so I want to talk about permission spells um, and kind of the evolution of permission spells. And I, I actually think that uh, while not seeing a ton of play right now, and like the format, I think will evolve uh, where maybe this deck could be good again. Uh, I want to talk about mono blue and, and its permission spells. Because there was a long time where Mono Blue was good in Standard, while the format was smaller. And it was really interesting, because you you could always play a Cancel. Like, there there was a plethora of Cancels to be played. But what, instead what it did is it tried to figure out which, whether it be Make Disappear, Mem or make disappear Negate, Essence Scatter, Essence Capture. It really looked for, like, what permission spells are important this week, and where where do I want to split them up? So, uh, permission spells, you know, they're usually blue. Like, I, they, they're usually blue counter spells that can dictate the pacing of a format. The, is kind of the way that, the kind of the way that Wizards has it now, right? Like, Make This Spears of like a really good example of one that sees a ton of play in Standard. I, I would, I mean, literally, uh, I, I think that it is one of the best cards in Standard. The card, uh, if you're listening, you haven't played Standard in a long time, is one in the blue for counter-target spell unless opponent plays uh, two, and then you can uh, sacrifice something to make it uh, copy it. Mason, what, what does permission do to a format? It sort of dictates what you can and can't cast up like open mana permission doesn't have to always be blue but it is typically blue i would say uh and it sort of dictates like what you can and can't cast in these terms sometimes like removal in this blur the line right but with removal you can have like a strong enter the battlefield effect that negates some of this downside right so for example if i play a creature that says when it enters the battlefield draw a card and spencer goes cut it down it's like all right well you know i'm at the same spot of cardboard in hand uh, that I was a second ago, and Spencer is down a piece of cardboard. Now, I'm down the mana, but if it wasn't a big exchange, it's not that huge a deal, right? So that's something where removal spells kind of lack. They might kill more things or, you know, not fall off in the late game and be something you can play around, but they're something uh, that has a bit of a downside. These permission spells make it so it's much harder to just sort of slam something. You have to respect these cards and figure out how you want to work around them, you know? Let's say I have, you know, eight mana in play and Spencer has one card in hand. He's been holding the whole game. You know, I might want to wait till my next turn to play a Traxa so it doesn't get make disappeared. If I can afford to do that, right. That is something that comes up and it sort of informs your plays against these blue decks. That's kind of their version of removal. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, I talked about pacing and I think you really covered that as far as make disappear goes, but there's also other sides to that, right? Like, you know, the longer you wait, other things might turn live. You know, you think about something like in standard disdainful stroke, or uh, you know, uh, you you wait longer. You know, things like you know, yes, I did turn off your mystical dispute, but at the same, or you know, but at the same time, did I turn on your mystical dispute for the rest of my spells? You know, there, there's there's the, a tug and pull that permission spells have uh, these days that I, I don't think are necessarily true of the removal that we're used to. Next up, I want to talk about difficulty to deal with. So, um, you know, this episode is about how your opponents interact. And one of the things to think about when you're doing that, we I we brought up uh, Rafine, but um, one of the things to think about is, like, the card type, you know, whether it's a Planeswalker or an enchantment or an artifact, these can sometimes be a little bit more difficult to deal with. Um, you know, one of the cards that saw quite a bit of play right after the bannings. Mason, I don't know if you remember, I think that you and I were both playing a little bit of standard at this time was Terrace Under. Just skyrocketed in play for a hot minute. And 
I think one of the reasons for that is like people did so much stuff. So many people were playing tons of different types of cards to try and figure out this new standard format. Um, what is what do you think about when you think about like putting a card in your deck because it's difficult to deal with? Yeah, I think that's something that's underappreciated. And we kind of hinted at earlier when I mentioned, like, you know, like, oh, because there's this, maybe I played that. That's kind of what we're talking about here. I think Razor Lash Transmogrant is the one that I think has been the best example in a little while for me, where, you know, that card is a 3-1 that you can spend black, black, and a bunch of mana if your opponent doesn't have a bunch of basics in play to bring it back and become support too. Well, as a 2-mana 3-1, it walks into cut down and all the other non-go-for-the-throat removal spells. And, you know, it's an artifact, so it walks into Terra Sunder immediately, right? You don't have to actually kick the Terra Sunder. And there's some real cost to this. But if your opponents aren't playing those cards and you bring this thing back in the graveyard, you know, it dodges go-for-the-throat, it dodges cut down. And if black is the best and most prominent color, like it has been in Standard recently, uh, you know, dropping now a little bit, but for the mo- more recent sets, you know, it was kind of the best thing to be doing. Razor Lash Transmogram, which is really hard to kill, really efficient, proactive threat that put your opponent in this position where they're like, dang it, like I have these removal spells, I'm in the color for removal spells, they don't line up well. Similar thing with uh, similar thing we said with can't be counter threats. Like Thrun uh, from Phyrexia All Be One is kind of a good example of this. Like can't be countered, doesn't die on your turn. That thing can just attack with impunity and can't stop being hit the board, you know, and the turn it hits the board, your opponent can't kill it. You know, you, you can't interact with that. So having something that's hard to interact with is a real benefit to a card. One thing we've seen from the past is like enchantments are typically kind of hard to interact with. Well, with get lost going on the rise, right? It's kind of like, oh, wow, enchantments are less safe than they have been. You know, there's that. There's the Nissa from the Black Green deck. There's all these other little things that are like adding up. Terra Sunder, like you mentioned, is a card that you still see some out of play in these sideboards. And it's like, okay this is actually much harder of a thing to protect. And so maybe this sideboard plan or this card I was playing because it was just keyword hard to kill is much harder to kill. So now that it moves to something different, you know, and maybe there's some artifact that is not a creature, you know, that kind of sits over there and is much harder and, you know, you can't abrade it or whatever. So there's a lot of different things to be going on. And I think that's when standard and magic's kind of its coolest when it's kind of like, okay, what should I be playing and why I'm sort of dodging and dancing around the interaction spell. So to get back to kind of like, difficult to deal with it is sort of just like at the end of the day a very underappreciated thing of like i am playing this card simply because it is hard to kill and has some benefit and rafine is sort of just like bread and butter you know or i guess peanut butter and jelly is a better example of like hard to kill very strong yum 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 you know in some cards you just have like hard to kill and that's the only reason to play it, and that is valid no i speaking of cards that are just like hard to kill or like you know i i think that if you've played standard in the last couple years, you have maybe seen a black two drop, uh, three two. Mason, you know where I'm going with this. It it might uh it might recur. It might uh it might have haste and draw a card every freaking turn for four mana. Oh, it's Nature's Underdog. There we go. I thought you said black. I, I actually like was... One black man. No, uh, I'm sorry. That is black, black, <laughs> no, one. Yeah, at first I was like... <laughs> you're good. I was like, Evolve no, Super I was pretty, is frustrating. I was pretty sure it was your card in the Pick 2 Set review, so I wanted you to say it. Um, no, Tenacious Underdog is like... Uh, you know, I I was a big proponent for a little while of the Golgari deck in, stand, in this standard format. I still think that deck's fine. I obviously, you know, did crazy at Worlds recently. But... Tenacious Underdog was a card that I just think wasn't auto-included at least as a one-of in the deck because it gives you another two-drop, which your deck desperately needs, and it has that hard-to-deal-with clause. Like, okay, if I kill it I, with a kill spell, it's just going to come back and gain an advantage. It, it is it is a hard-to-deal-with because it, it is recursive, right? Which we haven't mentioned yet as kind of those hard-to-deal-with threats. Um, all of this kind of adds up before we get into our final thing, about how you can come to rules of engagement. You know, uh, one of the things that comes up in coaching for me a lot, I had a coaching session with one of our patrons, actually, where I I had them, I was like, I need you to write rules of engagement for this format that we're talking about. And then let's go over them and see, like, how, how close you are for, like, what this means, what this looks like. And a lot of what 
come what rules of engagement are come down to these things how difficult something to interact with uh what turn it does permission spells what turn do permission spells matter um what type of mass removal is there what are the rules around basic removal spells in the format um are there decks that have protection spells that really matter and when do they matter and how do they matter and that 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 helps you come up with the rules of engagement um so if you've ever like listened to this podcast you've wanted to do the exercise this this podcast like if you listen to this one again to do that exercise i think this will be the most helpful to get you to a starting point to writing out rules of engagement for a given format anything you want to say on that mason you're muted oh (laughs) so i think you nailed it no notes no notes let's go uh the last thing i want to talk about is unique effects there are a couple things that i think standard gives us that even still give us insight into other formats. Uh, you know, uh, we've got uh, Witch Stalker Frenzy is a card that sees quite a bit of standard play, whether it be the uh, green red, uh, the green red aggro deck or the mono red aggro deck. This is a card that is going to take your thing, make it their thing for a little bit. Um, and honestly, it's not the only color that can do this. Blue also has the ability. Uh, to take your permanence, uh, something that we hadn't talked about that is a way that uh, people can interact with you. Uh, we also didn't talk about combat tricks. Uh, Mason, anything you want to say about steel effects before I go off? Um, I think steel effects are... I mean, we see them a lot of, actually in Pioneer with the Sacrifice deck, yeah. right? Like, just claim, claim the Firstborn is incredibly powerful. And these are cards that typically... Plays a Crone War actually, too. outside... Yeah, Gruel plays a Crone was actually another great point. They are typically game-ending effects when they're good, but they kind of lean towards a certain deck, right? Like, no one no one plays Claim outside of the Oven deck because you kind of have to have a little extra to work with it. And a Crone War, you kind of lock up the board, give the vehicles to kind of turn into an actual board wipe for your opponent. So you do a little extra work there, but they can be highly impactful and totally underappreciated, I think. Um I think more decks should play cards like the Acrode War. Like I think Rakdos should consider the Acrode War more of the time. And yeah. this is just an effect that is incredibly powerful when it is well positioned. Very similar to things that have incidental graveyard hate, right? Um, to use like another older format example real quick, and I'll pass it back to you, is like Agatha Soul Cauldron changes how you can interact, right? Like if I'm if Yogmoth's one of the best decks or Harden Scales doesn't really combined, suddenly my graveyard's a lot more exposed and it becomes much harder to play things like uh persist type decks. And much easier to play things like Murktide and Dredge and stuff like that, where the graveyard hate is not as effective because it's more about massive cards and less singular cards. Yeah, I, I, I wanna I wanna highlight uh, kind of what you said because you know we have we have uh, Lord Skitter uh, in standard in most decks, uh, Graveyard Trespasser in other decks as incidental graveyard hate. Uh, as like ways to interact with different parts of the game, and I think that, that that's we're not going to be able to cover everything in one episode for what it's worth, because there's so many ways to interact in Magic. It, what it's what makes it a great game. Um, so I really love that you kind of gave that example. I mean, we also just missed one. This is just me, you know, writing, you know, my shoutouts are wrong, but like we haven't even talked about discard yet. And discard is a you know a, a fantastic way to interact with your opponent, with you know the, to disrupt their game plan, that is totally different from you know the the, the things that we've already laid out. Um, kind of yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say I agree. Discard is uh, highly impactful. Uh, kind of to go go back to the kind of the, those unique effects that we were talking about. Um, standard. Standard and other formats also might have, um, you know, things that are that that don't really fall great into a category. So, you know, for example, um, Tasha's Timebinder is seeing the modern rounds and also is seeing the standard rounds, right? Where it's not, it's not a permission spell. It it's also not a removal. Like what? Where do you where do you place this card, Mace? It, it's just a unique effect. It's right? a protection spell. But except for when it's, it's not, it's a protection spell. No, but it, like it is because like you play it 
and it gives you a temporary advantage. And if you answer the thing, sometimes this stuff comes back, right? Not always, but in like lots of cases. So, for example, in modern, if I stop your cascade, it doesn't matter if my Tasha's live or dies, right? Well, in that case, but it was in standard, if your shielded right? triggers. Well, so yeah, I, I, to me, it, it reads like a, a per a protection spell the most in standard because I imagine it as things against like a Traxor or Shieldred and those kind sure. of things where they put a trigger on the stack and then I'm turning your thing into a vanilla 7-7, seven, seven, a Got vanilla 4-5. And when you answer this, you sort of unlock it very similar to like if I can beat your Tommy or safekeeping, then it, I kind of turn off your card and invalidate it anyway. Uh, that's how I at least see it. I, I could see arguments for different things. That's how my mind kind of. I, I love it. it. I, I love. I love how you're viewing it. And like, you know, we there are so many things that we we don't have time to mention. We got to wrap this podcast up. But like, you know, there are bounce spells that are you know not mentioned here. There are there are tons of ways to interact with your opponent, and your job is to look at a format, look at the things going on, and both just they're they're. There are a couple different parts, and this is how I kind of wanted to wrap up this episode. You need to understand these things in deck construction, and then you also need to then execute on that understanding in playing. But I think that a lot of people view it as a one-phase process, right? They view it as, while I am playing the game, I need to think of what my opponent can do. But you also need to take the step before that and say, am I a reasonable deck gamer? Uh, because of X, Y, and Z. Like, Tasha's uh, Tidebinder, can can I play Cascade decks right now? I, I don't know the answer, uh, but I do know that, like, every deck is playing them in Modern. And what is what does that mean for the decks that you want to play? It is, it, it is a question that you have to ask yourself and challenge yourself, like Mason said during his Always Improving segment, of, like, what does this mean for me? And that's how you build out rules of engagement. So... Uh, anything you want to say about this topic before we kind of jump off, Mason? No, just to kind of hammer home really quick the point you mentioned, like people so often don't spend enough time engaging with the deck building and planning part of Magic, because I think it's it is fun, but less fun on average. Like That kind of scratches an inch for a certain type of person or a certain type of player, which is totally valid. But if you're wanting to compete at the highest level and do that much kind of like earlier on the podcast, I talked about sometimes you have to do things that aren't fun. Uh, you have to sort of maybe work on this and maybe that's not the most fun way for you to engage with magic, but it might be something that is really holding you back because you are walking into things where it's like, Oh wow. All my creatures died to cut down and none of them dodge any of these kill spells and any of the decks. So like my standard deck just loses, like what am I doing? Or like, Wow, my deck is super clunky. It can't beat a spell pierce. What am I doing? I can't beat a make disappear. What am I doing? So just take some time, think about that, and figure out ways, you know, maybe you can still play your Jund Reanimator deck or whatever, but you try to play more cards that are lower to the ground, or there's something that can punish these sort of cards. And just really think about the whole process and engaging with all of it. I love it. All right, if you want to support the show directly, one of the best ways to do that is become a patron. Patrons of $5 more get access to our Patreon Discord, where you can ask questions like Mikey, who asks... It didn't work. Well, that's because I know why. Give me your top five Christmas movies. Mason? I don't like Christmas. Uh... Die hard. Wait a second. Hold on. Christmas can vacation. we can we bond for a second? Did you sure. say you don't like Christmas? No, I don't like Christmas movies. Oh, never mind. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, die Hard. I, we all learned a lot about Spencer just then. Uh, Christmas Vacation. Uh, what's the BB gun one? Uh, um, the B- Are you talking about uh, a Christmas story? A Christmas story, yeah, yeah, yeah. I figure I out. What, what a classic! Every year I engage with it. Um, <laughs> just lying. Uh, Iron what? Man two, and uh, there will be blood. Those are my top five Christmas. Movies. I knew you, you were gonna say. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say there will be blood. Uh, my number one is. I Jack- almost said the Social Network. <laughs> All right, There's the my Christmas number- party at the end. That's factual. Uh, it's, my- it's when he says, "I'm coming for everything," and he slams the t- the thing. Christmas Hello. movie. Uh, my number one is Jack Frost. Uh, my number two 
is... I, it's probably the 2018 Grinch movie. I think it's 2018. Uh, my number three, Die Hard. My number four... I think this changed as I've become a parent for what it's worth. Um, I really like the Santa Claus. By the way, I really hate the Santa Claus 2. Um, I forgot about those movies. I was like, what's the Santa Claus? But Claus. Yeah, it's spelled differently. <laughs> yeah. It's like the whole point yeah, of the Yeah, film. yeah, yeah. Well, so I'm dyslexic. The, I don't get the plot. <laughs> thought this was a safe place for my people like me. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> that was really funny. That was that was the best dyslexia joke I've ever heard. All right, well, <laughs> oh, I don't remember which one I've said now. Uh, you said Santa Claus, Jack Frost, The Grinch, I think, and and uh, Die Hard. Die Hard. Yep. Yeah, uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, but the one with Matilda. All right. If you want to uh, tell us your top five Christmas movies, the best way to do that is to go to the comments. Uh, what it, What would an MTG Christmas movie... Oh, my what? gosh. I know my actual favorite Christmas movie. Oh, what is it? It's Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. All right. Well, it happens on Christmas. Talk. I'm so stupid. That's, that's oh, great. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. That's great. Uh, you can join <laughs> the conversation between the Patreon Discord or the public Discord. We had multiple people... Join both of them this week. The public Discord, I, I get some questions about this, is for all of Heezy Game Media, whether that's Need to Nerd, um, or that Smash Through, like all of the the podcasts on that network, you know, whatever you're into, that's what the public Discord is for. The Patreon Discord is it's just for patrons, uh, $5 or more for this show. Um, and then the YouTube comments. Uh, we got a great novel of a YouTube comment this week. Uh, you know, it's not hard to get your YouTube comment on the show, folks. I just want to say, uh, you know, and for what it's worth, the comments help the, the show on YouTube more than anything else other than likes. So like, comment, subscribe. That's what they all say. And you're like, why does everyone say this? Why is this so important? And it's just the thing that helps the most. Uh, Mason, if people want to find you, though. Because, you know, they can't just find you here. You're not just on Constructed Criticism. Where can they find you? You can find me each and every week uh, here. You can also find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. If you're interested in coaching, you can reach out. I have some availability starting in January. Uh, a lot of people who are excited for Standard. Um, but... Have some then, and uh, you can do that via Twitter once again, which is Mason E. Clark, or my email, which is the same as my Twitter handle, Mason E. Clark, but at gmail.com. Put coaching in the description so that I don't think you're spam. Spencer, if someone wants to find me, where can they go? Uh, yeah, so you can find me at He's a Game on Twitter. Uh, you can find me every month on the Smash Through podcast, every uh, week on the New Nerd podcast. And starting next year, Mason, every week on Constructed Criticism's YouTube channel, playing Constructed Clash with Matt Clank, a YouTube series yep, to go head to head. And then, yeah, I actually just want to thank the people that have uh, come to me for coaching the last couple months. Like, literally, you've you've saved my butt from not having a job, and it means the world. And it's been really cool, and we've seen a lot of success. Um, I, d I do still have open coaching. Um, the best way to get a hold of me is spencerhowland at gmail.com, but you can reach out to me on Twitter. My DMs are open uh, at He's a Game. Uh, if you want to get a hold of Abe, that is at More Nothings on Twitter, um, and he is also fantastic, so check him out. Mason, what did you learn on the show this week? I wanted to quickly say, too, that uh, Abe and I will be at the uh, RC in Atlanta. I should be there Friday. I haven't a movie duck. I, I have to do an interview. Um, but I should be there from, like, noon onward. If you see me, please be like, hey, I like the show, whatever. I'll have swag. Um, and yeah. same goes for Abe. You got to get a misspelled too. wristband from Mason. Because, like, those are limited time only. 
those, those I have like 300 more. Yeah, like those <laughs> those are if you get a misspelled wristband, you know you got it from Mason. And that that's that's equity right there. Those are those are yeah. misprints. So mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, but if you see me, feel free to stop. Same for Abe. I know he feels the same way. So I just wanted to sort of quickly get that out of the way. I know some people, I've had people like, oh, I didn't want to bother you or whatever. You're really not a bother. I'd love to talk to you for a second. Uh, my biggest takeaway from this week on the show is that you hate Christmas. I don't want that to be your biggest takeaway. I don't. <laughs> All right. I feel I like I, feel like I told this. No, it's okay. I, I, I do think it's worth talking about. Like, I. I hate the commercialism of Christmas quite a bit. And it's, sure. it's really as like somebody who's, I, I think that a lot of people who have lost really close people to them feel this way or like, you know, you, 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 you see the commercialism and you're like, I just want this person back. Like, that's all I want. And Christmas was like a time that I spent with somebody very close to me before that I lost them. And so that, that's the part that I hate about Christmas. Also, uh, I think everybody is coming to the conclusion that we all hate the fact that Thanksgiving doesn't exist and that like, you know, two, two weeks before Halloween, Christmas goes out at like all the stores, like decorations and stuff. And it's like, can we finish the thing that we're doing before the next thing? Wait, do your stores actually do that stuff? Yes. A hundred percent. Oh, that's it. I, yeah. When I, I, it doesn't do it here, which I thought was really interesting. I moved to a smaller town. There's like, there was some stuff for like Christmas, but like the interesting thing to me has always been, and this might just be where I've caught it's almost assuredly has to be me. That has never been my experience. There's like basically since I've been 11 plus, there has been no like Christmas stuff before Thanksgiving in any area and really what? not till like December. Yeah. Dude, that's why I have literally never been in a Walmart after October mm-hmm. 18th that didn't have Christmas out. To be fair, I don't go to Walmart almost ever until I move here. Congratulations. That might actually just be the problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the sure. thing that I learned What's the wrong? most this week is one that um, I, I guess it's really a confirmation. I think I think that if you're listening to the show and you listen to Mason, one of the things that I hope you took away that is like Pioneer is in a is in a very open place. Um, you know, I, I talked about, I think that Phoenix is the best deck because of results, but like that doesn't mean like, Oh, play Phoenix or you don't have a reasonable deck. Like you can be a reasonable deck gamer in a lot of places in pioneer right now. And I think mm-hmm. that there are a lot of people struggling with that, right? They're very used to three top decks, three decks under that. Let's go. And there, there's just not a clear cut. Yeah, I think this happens every Pioneer RC season where something has caused a big shakeup, whether it was the first big Pioneer tournament in Atlanta last year, right? Or Convoke entering the format last time, and now the bands this time, where like Pioneer just doesn't have the tools to cover everything with your sideboard. And a lot of people don't like that. And it leads to a lot of feeling like I'm doing X or Y, and I lose to Y if I do X and vice versa, you know? Uh, and I think that it caused a lot of strife of like, well, I, I kind of just, I can't win with anything. There's no one thing to do, which, you know, is to say your point about it being very open is true. Like it is, hard, excuse me, it is hard to cover everything uh, in a singular deck and it can it, lead to us helpless. It's so funny to me too, because like six years ago, that's what everybody loved about modern. They're like, modern's the best format. And it's because it's like this. And everybody's like, modern's the worst form or pioneer's the worst format because of this. And it's like, that's what I was saying six years ago. <laughs> This is why I hated modern. <laughs> yeah, I think my my big complaint about Pioneer is, is that it, modern, cut modern had more decks. That's like at least the one thing it had going. You know, if it was like if it's going to be a wasteland, at least make it a wasteland. And here, I feel like there are seven decks that are like all reasonable, and then like another four that are okay. And I'm just like, dang, that's that's crazy. not no enough decks for you. I feel like old modern. Maybe it's just like my glasses. I feel like old modern had like. 11 and like six, you know what I mean? Like it was like double, oh, that. So, but also double the card pool. I'm so, so right? sorry so, that we're short, you know, that's so many decks. <laughs> it's so many. Yeah, I know. But the trick is that they all kind of play the same too. Like 
there are a lot of decks with like I, I personally no, I, I get it. Like together. it's like it's like there's yeah, like yeah. three mid range decks, three combo decks, like you know yeah, it's three like, aggro I, I decks. You, you know, I have M and M's and peanut M and M's, and I have a Hershey's and a white chocolate Hershey's, and you know and it's like okay, well, like, you know they are different, but like I don't, they're I don't like so that analogy. The, those are so different to me. Okay, well, they're just like, you know, like kind of like a similar thing, you know what I mean? Do you want my hottest take? Should we end it with the hottest take? Hit me. Yeah, hit me, hit me, hit me. All right, peanut and lemonade suck. We'll see you guys all next time with another episode of Constructed Criticism. Magic, magic, magic.